0: What an honor to be with you guys uh, tonight and uh, have the opportunity to open up the Word of God with you. If I just came up here and talked about myself, and I could tell you a lot of pretty interesting stories, and by the time I was done, you might actually even, I could fool you into thinking I'm a pretty great guy, but that's not really going to cut it for your spiritual growth and well-being, but when we get into the Word, that will. But there are some that don't know me. Uh, My name is on there. And just to say this that it seems like yesterday I was sitting in seats like this in church. And uh, just a little bit of testimony, okay? I love to play basketball. Anybody like to play basketball? Okay. And uh, so I was uh, playing, I played in high school and I was doing a little community college basketball up at Shoreline Community College, and I hurt my leg. So I tore some ligaments, and I was on crutches. And this pretty blonde girl walked past me one Sunday. I'm on crutches at church. Good place to meet somebody, by the way. And she says, what happened to you, being the compassionate person that she was? And uh, that struck up a conversation. And I just remember walking away from that, thinking, I have never enjoyed talking to somebody about the Lord like her so that's what our whole relationship was about to start with and we uh, got married young by some people's standards she was 19 I was 20 so I've been married 48 years have 17 grandkids when we first got married we you know lived in Portland I was working for a company trying to climb the corporate ladder. And we built our dream house on six acres, a log home. And I uh, had two kids. And you're sort of looking like, is, is this all there is to life? And uh, I remember we went upstairs in the loft, my wife and I. And we knelt down and prayed together. we said, God, whatever you want us to do, that's what we want to do. You want us to stay here and you want me to work this job i'll do that or if you want me to go to africa and live in a mud hut i'll do that but in some way we want to see lives changed and souls saved and people discipled for your glory and within six months i was out of that job and at age 25 serving the lord uh, that was 48 years ago so i've had the opportunity to walk with jesus serve the lord i've preached in places all over the United States and Canada and uh, it's been a full life and I just can say this if you know Jesus we serve a good master so I hope you're finding out what it is like to serve the Lord he uh, David writes in Psalms serve the Lord with gladness There's, there's no greater joy than to be in the center of God's will and it's the safest place to be as well you get on an airplane and uh, fly somewhere, I always think to myself, this is the safest plane in the world when I'm on it, unless it's my time. When you're in the center of God's will, it's just—it's a, a great safe place to be. Ask Daniel when he went through the lion's den. Uh, that lion's den was the safest place in the world, unless it was Daniel's time. Anyway, uh, enough testimony, good to be with you guys, um, God is faithful, God is good, Uh, there's nothing like serving the Lord I just want to say a quick prayer I know this has all been prayed for and we're going to open up the word of God let's pray Father bless your word and each and every person here move and work Uh, in our hearts Lord we all uh, need you we need more of you thank you for the hymns that we could sing thank you for the people that were up on this stage uh, helping lead that Lord, you know the desires of every heart here, uh, things that they long for in their lives. Some of those desires are things you put there. And Lord, would you just continue to move and work and meet the needs and those desires that you've given them in their life that are according to your will. Bless everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. I want to talk a little bit tonight about the three enemies of the Christian. Anybody want to tell me what those are? What's that? The flesh. That's one of them. The world. What else? The devil. You guys are to the head of the class for some of you, okay? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Um I'm going to start off with a passage of scripture that kind of, if you're paying close attention, you'll see all three of them in this little section of Ephesians chapter 2. And have a Bible, turn with me there, and if you don't, you can listen, and um, I just picked up whatever translation, I have lots of Bibles laying around my house, I happen to have my old NIV here, but it will work, Okay? Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 as for you Paul writing to the Ephesians you were dead <laughs> and by the way he's also talking about their past here and then he's talking about their present and then he's talking about their future so the past you guys were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live that's past again when you followed the ways of the world there's the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air there's the devil the spirit who's now working those who are disobedient all of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh there it is got all three of them uh, following its desires and thoughts wait. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath, every one of us. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order, a future, That in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so no one can boast. I'm going to stop there. You could just keep going. This amazing book. But he talks about where we were we were dead in our sins and every person in this room is either alive in jesus or you're dead spiritually everyone i think here is alive i don't see any dead corpses here tonight no bodies laying around so i think you're physically alive but only people who know jesus who have been born again who have been made alive the old King James has a word called quickened. Anybody ever heard that term? You're quickened? You see, I, I'm going to get in trouble maybe when I say this, but because I got the free will people over here and the ultra Calvinists on this side, and then there's some Calvanians in the middle, okay? So if you're dead, you can't respond you can't respond unless somebody makes you have enough life that you actually can respond and though every person that ever lived was born physically none of them they were all dead after Adam and the fall everybody was born in sin as David says in shape and iniquity and so if you sinned you were dead spiritually And I know this takes a lot of pride out of it all. But you can't respond. Dead people can't. You could say to a dead person, don't smoke. Don't cheat on your spouse. You know, don't drink. They can't respond. They're dead. All of us were dead. Fact of the matter is the Bible says there's none who seeks after God. Not even one. So none of you guys said, you know what? A reason I'm a Christian is because I was so smart that all by myself, I just decided to seek after God. You don't do that because you're totally depraved. You are a sinner that has no heart for God. In fact, you're running the other way. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, Romans tells us. God turned around and he looked at you and he said, I want that person to be with me for eternity. And he, I know this is God's side of it, okay? There's also man's side, which we'll talk about. So God sends his Holy Spirit into the life of a dead Tim Cedarland who's going to high school and trying to be like the world, like it says here walking after the course of this world, following the spirit that's now still at work in the children of disobedience. And God comes along and he says, Holy Spirit, bring some life into him. And the Holy Spirit starts to quicken, make life. And all of a sudden I'm like, hey, this sinful life isn't so cool after all. And I'm kind of looking at my friends and seeing where they're going. And my blind eyes start to get open. And God works in my life where I say, ha, that gospel that I heard about believing that Jesus died and took my place, that's true. How did I come to that conclusion? All by myself? No help from God? Just being smarter than everybody else in the world? No, the Holy Spirit Working in my life opens my eyes, brings life to the point where now I can respond to God. And I say, God, what you say in your word is true. I am a sinner. I'm on my way to hell. I need salvation. I need a savior. And he caused me to believe because no man comes unless the father draw him. So you say, well, what if God's not drawn to me? The rest of that verse says, and the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out or turn away. So before I'm saved, I see the door and it says an invitation from God, whosoever will may come. Revelation says, whosoever will may come and take of the water of life freely. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him. So if you're here and say, I don't know if I'm chosen by God. I don't know if when I'm, I'm one of the elect. The old evangelist D.L. Moody used to say, you make yourself a candidate and you're sure to get elected. Now, that's just man's side of it. He oversimplified it and he said, to whosoever, the elector, the whosoever wills, and the non-elector, the whosoever won't. We see the gospel. I sat in a gospel meeting and I heard a message and I responded to it. And after I responded, I came to realize in studying the Bible that I didn't just get there on my own. It's because God opened my eyes. because god made me alive when i was absolutely spiritually dead the holy spirit breathed life into me caused me to recognize my condition and i ran for to mercy and to grace and to salvation i put my faith in what jesus did for me on the cross and i became made alive before i was dead but you Uh, he says uh, but God in his great mercy you know he he made us alive King James says quickened with Christ when we were dead in transgressions who made us alive? me? did I make myself alive? no, God did it that kind of takes away all the boasting now you say Tim, you must be a five point Calvinist no I'm not i'm a christian i just believe the gospel i believe that jesus died for me and that god gives an invitation to everybody it says he's commanded all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day in which he will judge this world in righteousness by that man who he has ordained whereof he has given assurance unto all men and that he has raised him from the dead that's act seventeen paul on mars hill Okay so the gospel goes out to anybody if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian believe on the Lord Jesus Christ receive him as your Lord and Savior but once you do that you're going to come to recognize that you didn't get there by yourself that you were actually chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundations of this world before God ever made the world he knew Emma He's kind of looking at me, sort of sheepish there. Like, are you calling me out in front of all these people? He did. And before Adam and Eve were ever created, and before there was ever a Garden of Eden, God knew Emma, and he says, I want her to be with me for all eternity. He did. That's the Bible. That's not me. I'm not trying to make a point here. I'm just telling you what the scriptures say. So if you're not a Christian whoever you are you may come whosoever believes in him if you are a Christian you didn't get there by yourself Holy Spirit moved and worked in your dead life and brought life so that you could actually respond to the gospel because you couldn't have on your own who gets all the glory God I don't know why he chose me but he did and God loves every person in this room because it says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son alright I'm getting off the track we're gonna talk about the world the flesh and the devil the world what is the world if we're told love not though John 2 love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him okay because all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eye and the pride of life Those are all things that are enmity with the Father. Okay? What's he talking about in that world? Tim, I thought you just quoted John 3.16, God so loved the world. But now you're quoting out of of, uh, 1 John, and you're telling me that God and the world are opposed to each other. So how does this work? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Got any scholars here that can tell me what's meant by the world in this passage where he says you were following after the course of this world huh okay so in the Bible there's different ways that the world is mentioned okay sometimes it'll use the word earth in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth alright so how can I put this The world's system, okay, is what is anti-God. It's not the birds, it's not the trees. I don't look at the mountains and say, oh, i got to hate those mountains or God won't be liking me. Because it's interesting that we're going to see it. The flesh and the spirit, Romans Galatians 5 says, are contrary to each other. The Father and the world are at enmity with each other, and Jesus and Satan are constantly opposed to each other. All right? That's what the Bible teaches. So, this world that he's talking about is the world system that is anti God. Anything that opposes God in thought, teaching, Ideas, entertainment is what is mentioned when he talks about the world, all right, in this context that we're looking at it today. The educational world that says things that are contrary to the truth of God's word. When they say truth doesn't matter, when we have Supreme Court justices that come on board and can't define what a woman is, That's the confusion and delusion of a world that has rejected God, who, it says, in the beginning made them male and female. Okay? So, I'm not going to affirm somebody who is believing a lie. It's not loving to affirm someone who's choosing to believe a lie the loving thing is to tell them the truth because that's what sets people free it has to be done in a loving way so this world's system the entertainment world the educational world whatever is opposed to the truth of God's word and thinking that is rebellion to God is the world so in the Bible there's the world that we live in, okay? Um, maybe, and, and that's where the trees are and the mountains and the birds. These all start with L, so you can kind of keep make it easy for you. The world that we live in, when he says don't love the world, he's not talking about that world. But then there's the world that we leave when we become a Christian. That's this world system that is opposed to God. And then there's the world that we love because God loves it. And that's the people in this world that need to know Jesus. Okay, God so loved the world. He's not like, oh, I just love my trees. I love my animals. Oh, I just love the system that hates me. He's not talking about that. He's talking about people that are lost souls that need Jesus. The world that We we uh, we love. So the world that we leave, the world that we live in, the world that we love, and then there's another one. It's called I call it the world we long for. The Bible talks about the world to come. Okay, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. That's the world we long for. So we're not told to hate any of those worlds except the world system that is opposed to God we're told not to be conformed to this world anymore a more liberal translation says don't let the world squeeze you into its mold because the world is doing everything it can to try to indoctrinate you and use propaganda to make you think things that are anti-biblical right that are against God where you set yourself up to be your own God when you say my truth that's rebellion against God when I come along I'm not I'm not a woman here but if you're here and you're a woman and you say you know what I sat through some classes and I read some books and I just think <laughs> it's pretty important for me to be extremely independent and so I don't want to be dependent on a man and, and so I'm going to go get a career, and I'm going to climb the corporate ladder as high as I can, so I will be my own person and not be controlled by any man, and I'll get through life that way. And if I have a kid, get pregnant along the way somehow, I'll just kill the kid. Did you know more babies died through abortion last year than people who actually died through old age or other deaths? Because we've indoctrinated the world's thinking. I mean, kill your baby. It's it's in the way. You study the feminists. I just was doing some research and reading on this. Almost every major feminist that is looked up to, as this is from the 1700s on, were either pretty extreme Marxists or they were in the occult. And the thinking that comes along was that I don't even, man, I'm independent I can do this on my own I read in the Bible neither is the woman without the man or the man without the woman in the Lord doesn't mean that there aren't people that might be called to a life of singlehood there, there may be animals went into the ark and they went in by sevens the clean animals I know when you sang that little song, the animals came two by two. That's not necessarily accurate. Clean animals came by seven. That meant there was one left over that didn't have a mate, and that was for sacrifice. Okay, but the world is trying to squeeze us into the mold, and so the first wave of feminists, for for the most part, many of them are writing books telling why they got to be 50, 60 years old and they were lonely and unhappy, and they said, "What did we do to ourselves? We have no kid. We have no husband." And they're writing books saying feminism is bad, but the next wave comes along and it goes even further and says, hey, you know, if you just love whoever you want, free love, and maybe you get into a sisterhood and you dive into the lesbian lifestyle, you know, then you're going to be free. See, you don't need a man in your life. And then the next thing is, let's just blur the gender so nobody knows what they are. And the ultimate... Stepping stone to all of it is trans. And how did we get here? The world's thinking. Slowly, like the frog in the kettle of water, where you're slowly turning up the heat and you're slowly indoctrinating and you're slowly giving propaganda that appeals to the mind in the same way that the lies that Satan was saying in the garden appealed to Eve. You know, you're going to be like gods, you'll have your own truth. You'll be smarter than the old Bible and Christians and anybody who comes along who's trying to say something different than what we're telling you is going to make you free and happy. And then at 50 and 60 years old, you wonder why you're so miserable. Because the world's thinking is anti-God and anti-the Bible. Pretty much 180 degrees the opposite. Because we've strayed from the moral principles that were given originally in this world. Even people who didn't know God didn't even realize in this country that they were still living by Christian principles. And that's all gone out the window. And slowly the indoctrination and propaganda and the squeezing into the mold of you be your own person and you do what you want to do and you don't have to answer to anybody. And you can just go out and Sleep around with as many women as you want, and somehow that's going to bring you happiness and fulfillment. And it's empty, 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 empty. But Satan always holds it out to make it look attractive. Okay, and to try to ensnare us. In James 1:17, it says, "Don't be deceived." And what's the context of that? Just before that, he says, you know, God doesn't tempt anybody at any time. You're drawn away of your own lusts and enticed. And then sin, when it's conceived, brings death. Don't be deceived, he's following up. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. What he's saying is don't go thinking that somehow God's not a good God. And he would somehow tempt you into something that you shouldn't. God is a good God and only gives good gifts in the most in the in in good ways. Every good gift and every perfect gift sounds redundant, but if you study it in the Greek, one of it describes the gift and the second part describes how that gift is given. And God only gives perfect gifts and He only gives them in perfect ways. He gave me the perfect wife, and He gave her to me in just the right way. Because He loves us. Don't be thinking and fool that Satan, that God, by Satan, that God doesn't love you and have what's best for you, and that He's got a better plan for your life. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How's it get renewed? The Scriptures. So that you might prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. God's will in your life is good, perfect, and acceptable. Satan's plan, the world's plan, the evil desires in our life that are susceptible to all those things, only bring pain, only bring emptiness, only bring loss even though they seem really enticing and attractive. James says, don't be deceived. God's a good God, and every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from him. And he doesn't change. There's no shadow of turning. He is immutable. He doesn't change. He wasn't a good God last year, but he's not a good God anymore. He will always be good. Always, always, always. It's his character. So, are we done with the world? Let me just say a couple things more. It's easy to be affected by our environment, right? We live in a world that's anti-God, it's hostile. It might have been 50 years ago, pretty easy to be a Christian. And even 20 years ago with the secret church movement, it could be cool to be a Christian. You could go to church and it, your, your services might not be too different than the world's entertainment. And you could kind of feel like you were hip and cool to be a Christian. But I'm going to tell you something, that as we get closer to the day approaching, to the last days and the, where we're actually living, it's going to be, there's going to be a need to take a stand. And you're not going to survive on Christian coolness anymore you're going to need to be a Daniel, a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're going to need to be somebody who's going to stand up in the middle of it all and not flinch when Satan's fiery darts come flying, when the world tries to squeeze you into its mold, and when all the things that are going to try to entice your flesh are there. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Jesus in John 17, he says, Father, I pray that you, I don't, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but I pray that you keep them from the evil that is in the world. I like to say this, it's all right for the Christian to be in the world, but it's wrong for the world to be in the Christian, just like it's all right for the ship to be in the ocean, but it's wrong for the ocean to be in the ship. Amen. So let's let's not let the world squeeze us into its mold. We march to the beat of a different drummer. We should not care what they think about us. We should live for an audience of one. Who's that? God. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to bow to you, Nebuchadnezzar. You might be the greatest monarch in the world, and everyone else is doing it, but you know what? We're not. Because we know our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow. And they stood there when everybody else compromised. And God's looking for people, young men and young women, who are in the middle of a corrupt and perverted society that were called, what's he say, to shine as lights in the midst of a a wicked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights, holding forth the word of life, still standing on God's scriptures because they're true. I believe we'll see a day when people will run to you saying, you got answers, and I don't. I've been trying to go my way and it ain't working very well. But they're never going to do that if you try to compromise to be like them. You want to be like Jesus. Jesus. The attributes of Jesus are what need to be in our lives. We need to be so full of of God. We need to be so full of the Word, so full of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus just shines out. And when somebody says something to us, it's not very kind, we respond in the way that Jesus did. That we, we allow him to live out in our lives, where we say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live... Yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live. I live like the world. That'd be kind of a bummer, wouldn't it? No, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's all right for the Christian to be in the world. We're called to be here as lights, but it's wrong for the world to be in the Christian. All right, the flesh. This thing that... It comes from a word that we get our word like for meat, like con carne. You ever had, like carnivorous is something that eats meat, right? Um, you have chili con carne, it has meat in there with the chili. The idea of flesh wants to be satisfied. Somebody was going to a certain nightclub and they said, I'm going to the meat market tonight. They wanted their flesh satisfied and they wanted to satisfy somebody else's flesh. Okay? It can be because I want to eat things way too much. One more chocolate chip cookie. It can be gluttony. could. But it's anything that I'm craving with my sinful desires. I want to be noticed. I want to be important. I want to be recognized. I want to be a big shot in the church where I get up and get my testimony and people think I'm somebody great. Or it could be drugs, could be alcohol, could be pornography, could be sexual immorality. All of those kind of things are things that the flesh is craving and wants. And that's who we were going after our sinful desires we read in Ephesians 2. How do I deal with that? In uh, Galatians 5, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Remember I said the flesh and the Spirit are contrary to each other? The Father and the world are contrary and jesus and satan are contrary And he says the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh they are at conflict with one another so that you cannot do what you want but if you are led by the spirit you are not under law and he talks about those who have crucified the flesh with its passions and is allowing the spirit to live out he talks about the works of the flesh are these, and he names off a whole bunch of them, drunkenness, sexual immorality, all kinds of things, gluttony. And here's the works of the spirit, you know, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness. All those things are there, okay? But how do we live them out? We got this thing, before we were saved, we, we just had a sinful nature, right? After I get saved, I actually now have a new nature that wants to please Christ. But according to the Bible, these things are still at work in me. They're, they're opposing each other. Right? So the flesh wants to do its own thing. Remember Paul in, in Romans 7? The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. He's somebody struggling with the flesh. But he gets to Romans 8 and he gets the answer. It's the spirit. As many as born of, of, of God, many as are born of God are led by the spirit of God. It's Romans 8. He even gets to the point, he says, like, I didn't even know how to pray as I ought. But what? The spirit itself inside me makes intercession with groanings that can't be put into human language. It's a life in the spirit. And so the Bible says if we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The best defense is a good offense. When you get up in the morning and say, God, here I am, take me. I want to walk in your spirit. I want to be saturated with your Word, so my mind is renewed and I don't think like the world. And I want you to be so living out of me that I'm walking in obedience to you, looking forward to the opportunities you're going to give me today to serve you. Right? Walking in the spirit. Instead of trying to fight the flesh... Somebody said, you can get just as dirty fighting a chimney sweep as you can hugging him. Okay? You're going to fight this. You're going to get all dirty fighting that guy. And you got the flesh in you. I, I wish God would just take the flesh out. I, I, I pondered that once. I said, Why didn't he just do away with the old nature? You know what would have happened? I probably would have said something like this. God, thank you for taking away the old nature. I don't need you anymore. I'll see you when I get to heaven. But no, I'm left down here with conflict where I have to depend on Him. He's shaping me. He's sanctifying me through the conflict that I'm going. When I learn to say no to the world and yes to the Word. When I learn to say no to the flesh and yes to the Holy Spirit. And I let the Holy Spirit live out my life. God always puts a positive for the most part in in instruction, you see it over and over again, to the negative. So he doesn't just say, oh, don't get drunk with wine that leads to debauchery. Stop there. He doesn't do that. He says, but rather be filled with the spirit. He replaces it with something better. And when we're enjoying jesus and the holy spirit is living out in our life we don't want to go back to the flesh but it's a battle and if i somehow think that i've arrived i'm probably going to get into trouble and we we want to be careful that we don't just flirt with sin and see how close we can get to the edge without falling in somebody put it this way there's think about there's three three situations there's a man that walks down a road, there's a hole in the road and he falls into it. Next guy comes along and he knows there's a hole in the road, but he tiptoes around it. And the third guy comes along and he knows there's a hole in the road and he takes another road. Which guy was the smartest? We want to tiptoe around and get right up close sometimes and flirt with sin and wonder why we fall into the hole. But if we know something, you know, avoid it. It says in Proverbs, pass not by it, turn away. I don't want to, tr- he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. The warning in 1 Corinthians 10 is let the one who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Oh, I think I'm a pretty solid Christian. I've walked with Jesus, you know, I've been serving the Lord for 48 years. I, 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 I got it made in the shade. No, you don't. David was over 50 years old when he fell into temptation with Bathsheba. You never get too old to need to depend on the Lord every day, to be saturated in his word. So you think in terms of scripture. When something happens immediately, a verse of scripture comes to mind because you're saturated with it that you just think in terms of it. And that you every day have to, put to death the flesh. Paul says, I die daily. You say, I just want to pamper it a little bit. No. Jesus said, the word of God says, the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that makes life. The flesh has no value. Except you're born of water and of the spirit you can't enter the kingdom of God. He says to me as many as received him to then gave the right to become the children of God even to those who believe on his name who are born not of spirit of physical descent not of blood nor of the will of the man of man not of the flesh or somebody just but of God It's a new birth a new life that depends entirely on God and not in our own strength You can't fight the battle in your own strength And you can't fight it in someone else's strength. David couldn't fight the battle in Saul's armor. He tried it on. He was awkward and clumsy. He had to fight it with what was his, a sling, and five smooth stones that he took out of a creek on his way to meet Goliath. But because he had proved God, he could actually run at the giant. Read it carefully. He doesn't come up trembling. Oh, there's a big giant there. He actually runs because he's operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the furthermost parts of the earth, Acts 1.8. Are you operating in that power? God wants you to operate. It's pretty cool to operate in that. Sometimes I do it pretty good, and there's other times I'm a miserable failure but I want to do it good more. It's more of Jesus and less of us. As John the Baptist could say, he must increase, but we must decrease. He must become greater. We must become, I must become less. To realize that it's not me living, it's Jesus living out in me. That's a a privilege to bear testimony to the son of God, to shine his lights, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation as we hold out the word of life. So, we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have the external foe, the world, the internal foe, the flesh, and the infernal foe, the world, the devil, the infernal foe. Okay. Those are our enemies. Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. In Ephesians 6, he says... Uh, There in verse 10. I better read it just so that I uh, get started right. Finally, finally brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand the wiles of Or the craftiness of the devil. And then he talks about the different pieces of armor. And as you've probably noticed, there's no armor for the back. We're never told to flee Satan. There's things we are told to flee. The fleas that you get. That you're told to flee. Flee fornication. You know, flee the love of money. You know, you, O man of God, Paul tells Timothy, flee these things. But then there's times where we're not supposed to run, having done all the stand, we stand in all the armor of God. And the last piece was take the sword of the spirit, the one offensive weapon, which is the word of God. That's what Martin Luther in his song A Mighty Fortress is Our God, he says did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man ...of God's own choosing. He said, but still our ancient foe... ...does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate... ...one little word... ...shall fell him. What word are we talking about? Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ... ...got up and he was baptized. And when he came out of the water... The Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. We're gonna wrap this up in just a couple minutes here. And I'm gonna back up and say about the world the these good new nature and the old nature. Noah and the Ark let out two birds. One was a raven, remember? And what happened? It didn't come back because it went out there and there was all kinds of dead things to feed on the old nature is like that raven it wants to feed on dead stuff corruption he let out a dove. it went out and didn't find anywhere the first time and it came back and later it came back with an olive branch in its mouth but the first time it came back, there was nothing for it to land on it came back the, the raven didn't and there's only one place where the dove of the holy spirit landed in this world that wasn't full of dead stuff. And that was on the Son of God when he came up out of the water in baptism. The Holy Spirit, like a dove, came and descended on him. In your life, feed the dove and starve the raven. You click certain things on your computer, you're feeding the raven. Starve that raven, feed the dove. Fill your mind with scripture, with fellowship, with encouraging, with witnessing to other people, letting Jesus live out in your life. It is the most fulfilling thing there is. The most empty thing is living for self. It might seem pretty good for a little while. There's a way that seems right unto a man. But the end thereof is the ways of death. It's when we come and recognize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, um, Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He's actually there hungry. And at the end of that time, he's tempted by the devil. And what what happened? The devil knew he hadn't eaten for 40 days. So he says, oh, command these stones to be made into bread. And what did Jesus do? Was he hungry? Yeah. Yeah. Would some food at that moment satisfy his flesh? Yes. But as our perfect example, says Peter, uh, Peter, leaving us an example that we should, he sh- we should follow in his steps. As our perfect example, he turned to Satan and he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So then what does Satan do? takes them up in a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. says, all these will I give you if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus isn't going to take any shortcuts. The cross had to come before the kingdom. Satan, I'm not trying to get that without going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to pay for the sin of the world. We read about what's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, get some food to eat, some bread. Oh, the lust of the uh, the eye. Look at all those kingdoms. I'll give them to you. There's the whole world, Jesus. No, nope. it is written, he says again. And finally, the devil t- takes him out to the pinnacle of the temple and says, just cast yourself down. Just jump off and let people see that you're powerful and magical, and they can see your deity, and they'll they'll think you're great. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And Jesus answers, it is written. Uh, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So, he answers each time from the scriptures and each time it was from only one book of the scriptures what book was that huh who deuteronomy david had how many stones when he went to go after the giant five how many books are in the pentateuch how many did jesus need to how many how many stones did david need to slay the giant picture of Satan, how many books did Jesus need to quote from from the five books of the Pentateuch? I think maybe he had been meditating on Deuteronomy that morning. (laughs) Because whatever you read in the morning in your devotions is going to be preparing you for what you're going to face during the day. In the Old Testament they went and gathered the manna in the morning before the sun came up and melted it. And if you don't spend time in the word of God every day Trust me, it's going to melt because the day is going to come and crowd it out. And then you're going to face a temptation and you're not going to be able to respond. But you want to be able, so saturated with the word of God that you're going to say, it is written. And you can answer with the word of God. You can allow the Holy Spirit to live out in your life. And you're not going to be allowing the world to squeeze you into its mold. Satan is real. I've, I've experienced him. I don't want to give you too much credit, him too much credit, because the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I was preaching in a mission back in my early 20s, and there was a, a lady there that approached me. She came up after the message, and she, she said something about, well, oh, I've spoken in tongues before. I'm like, oh, Okay. And I'm thinking, where's she going? Is she a Christian? <laughs> and all of a sudden I recognize she's speaking to me through a different spirit. And so I said, You're speaking in a different spirit. And she her eyes glazed over, she turned into a rage, and she took her fingernails and just clawed the back of my neck. And she said, You and your family are gonna take a trip to California and you're all gonna be killed well the truth of the matter is we were leaving the next day for Southern California to go to a Bible conference I could have been intimidated by that I just prayed she had no way to know that we were leaving for California except for Satan okay Satan's alive and well my parents used to take people in that had different problems and I'm 18 years old and I'm lying in my bed one night and there's a lady standing there next to me I wake up in the middle of the night, one in the morning and she's standing next to me, her hair's all hanging down in front of her, she's looking out with her eyes through her hair and she says Timothy I love you now I knew this lady in the real life and she actually was very very attractive but at that moment she's like totally possessed by Satan I said you get out of here right now, which she did and I lay there in my bed and all of a sudden, I felt a presence that was so strong, I could hardly breathe, pinning me to my bed. And I could just barely get the words out, Lord Jesus. And the oppression lifted, and I could breathe, and I could move. And I just started quoting scripture and verses about the blood of Jesus, And eventually that spirit that was left from the presence of this woman who was crazy um, because she was demon-possessed left my room because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. The common denominator here is dependence on God, letting Jesus live out in our lives and being saturated with his word. Then we're going to be able to stand in an evil day And when the temptations come and the philosophies of this world that are there to twist us and give us propaganda and make us think things that are contrary to the scriptures, God's going to win the battle. And he's going to have his way ultimately, but it's a whole lot easier when we yield and say, Jesus, here I am. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee. Jesus, come into my life and just live out through me through your power so that I might make a difference in the world while I'm here, shining as a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation holding forth the word of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for this good audience and all the different things that we've talked about, and I pray that you would just take different truths and use them to meet different needs that are here. What might impact one person? God, you have something else for someone else. Lord, change us, mold us, conform us to the image of your Son. Thank you that that's your ultimate goal through sanctification is to work in our lives to make us like Jesus. And thank you that one day we will see him as he is, And we will be transformed. We will be like him. We'll be changed in a moment. In a twinkling of an eye. God bless your word. And each person here. I pray in Jesus name. Amen.